it's funny how when you go through things, you feel like you're the only one that's experiencing it. You have this shame about what you're going through when really and truly, that's where I finally found God was he was there waiting for me in the dark place with the shame. It wasn't clean your act up and then we'll talk to you in a few years. You know, it was more like I've been here all along right here in the darkness, you know, waiting on you. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Before I tell you about my guests today, I want to do a couple of year-end wrap-up things. Yeah, I know that the year ended a few weeks ago, but I'm a little bit slow and need a little bit of extra time. So you know that one of the missions of this podcast is to help make a difference for Christ around the world. And to that end, I've partnered with Mercy Inc., a ministry that helps people around the world with education, evangelism, crisis relief, literacy, agricultural training, and well, the list goes on. These guys are doing some amazing things around the world, and I'm super happy to say that I support their work. In 2021, we were able to donate $843 to Mercy Inc. That comes from the profit we generate through the website and through donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to be part of Helping Mercy, Inc., you can do that in a couple of ways. First, you can support the podcast and the website by going to christianmusicarchive.com donate. There's a couple of different ways you can support my work there. Uh, but if you'd rather donate to Mercy directly, you can do that by going to christianmusicarchive.com mercy. Either way, you can read more about supporting the work we are doing here at the Christian Music Archive and about the amazing work of Mercy, Inc. And a great big thanks to everyone who donates, prays, listens, and visits the website. All of those activities really help the Christian Music Archive make a difference around the world. So again, those web addresses are christianmusicarchive.com mercy or christianmusicarchive.com donate, and go visit one of those pages, and let's make a difference to people all over the world. Okay, let's move on to our guests this week. This episode was recorded on December 11th, a little over a month ago. That date is important because that was the day a massive tornado went through Mayfield, Kentucky. USA Today reported that the tornado was the deadliest tornado in Kentucky history. Brian Gentry and Ken Marvin are both from Mayfield, Kentucky, so the devastation of this tornado was fresh on their minds. And our conversation also looks at several other devastating situations the guys have gone through. This is a great conversation about how God works through things in spite of those tough situations, and I think it's an important conversation for some of us to hear. But we're also going to talk about their relationship with Dan Peake. He's the former lead singer of the group America. So let's jump in to the conversation with Marvin and Gentry.
On today's podcast, we're going to go back to the late 1980s. There was a band on Milk and Honey Records made up of two guys from Kentucky. Marvin and Gentry started playing music together as high school students and have been making music together ever since, but their career really took off when they became friends with Dan Peake, the lead singer of the 70s folk group America. I'm eager to hear their story, and so I'm excited to welcome to the podcast Ken Marvin and Brian Gentry of the band Marvin and Gentry. Welcome, you guys. Thanks, Dave. Hey, Dave. Thank you uh, so much for having us. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to officially meet you, although we've been listening to your music, so it's uh, fun to put faces to the voices. Well, we're honored to be here. So as I kind of alluded to in the beginning of the podcast, um, we know that you guys got started as high school students playing together. How did you guys end up getting hooked up and starting playing music? Well, it all started in a little town called Mayfield, Kentucky. We went to high school together. Ken was a couple of classes ahead of me. And there was a little shop on the corner across from the high school called Chapman's Music, which was the father of Stephen Curtis Chapman. No kidding. His dad had a guitar shop and and all the cool kids went over to learn how to play guitar from him. Okay. And and I was like 14 and Ken was like 16 playing in a band with two other guys doing a lot of America and Crosby Stills, Nash and Young. And I wanted to be like them <laughs> when I grew up, <laughs> which was a big two years later, you know. Yeah. And uh, Ken invited me over once to his home. And uh, yes, Mayfield, Kentucky, like leave it to Beaver, like he said. He was like mm-hmm. Eddie, and I was, or not Eddie Haskell, but who was <laughs> you the You were older? Eddie Haskell. You were Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I was Eddie Haskell. No, I was Beaver, and you were somebody. You were, you were the Beave. I, I guess I was Beaver. Wally. You were Wally. And that's how it started. So just a kindred spirit of both liking music and what did you, were you both guitar players or what? Yeah, this, uh, this is Ken, just for the listeners who don't have video. This is Ken yeah. Marvin speaking. Um, Brian and I, uh, were actually born at the hands of the same physician, Dr. Stone. Wow. Uh, in the, in the same small little hospital, same physician. Uh, so we go way back. Well, you guys mentioned that you were from Mayfield, Kentucky, and I want to take kind of a break here. We just received news just before recording this. In fact, um, you guys have been dealing with it all morning, that there was a big tornado that ripped through your town. Um, Talk a little bit. Have you heard from folks? Are they okay? What's going on? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, Just It's still surreal to me. Um, Brian lives uh, just right outside of Nashville now, but uh, I live in Paducah, Kentucky, about 20 miles away from Mayfield, and uh, it has simply decimated uh, the town. Uh, I don't know what the the latest fatality count is, um, 50 to 100 possibly, um, but it's it's quite surreal. All the the I'll call them the big four churches are yeah. leveled, the courthouse is leveled, the town square is leveled. So, um, yeah, we just, uh, we lost a lot of, uh, good memories and good buildings and, uh, well, the memories won't go away, but you get my drift. Yeah. To add to that, uh, my sister sent me a picture this morning of the first United Methodist church, which is where I was raised. And my dad is still a member of, and I just posted it on the Marvin and Gentry Facebook the pictures of the church and it's just like a war zone 
and a block away, my wife's brother's business was in a three-story uh, older building downtown, like right off the square of the smaller of the small town. And it's gone. It's rubble. It's completely gone. And uh, so, yeah, we've been FaceTiming with family, friends, everyone this morning. You know, you can replace things, but the good gratitude that we have this morning is that all are, are safe and sound. Well, and, and we're recording this a week or so before Christmas. That's just the timing of this. Well, of course, tornado timing is never good, but right at the mm-hmm. holiday seasons, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Really, really yes. tough. Well, our prayers are going to be going out with uh, with all of the people being affected by this. My gosh, that's just devastating. And I, uh, I kind of don't know where to go after that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, right. chur- the church that Ken was raised in, the First Presbyterian Church, I heard it was just like completely at ground zero. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, we're on this podcast with you this morning with heavy hearts for sure. How many people live in, in Mayfield? About 10,000. Okay. Yeah. So it's a decent sized town and that to have mm-hmm. this kind of devastation is, mm-hmm. is terrible. Well, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's remember some positive memories that happened in Mayfield, uh, getting right. back getting back into the music side, not trying to detract at all from the devastation that we've had. Uh, you guys started playing together as high school students. Where, how did that grow from there? I mean, what kind of music, where were you playing? Kind of on the timeline of where, where I was, where I started was Ken kind of, you know, saw that I was an aspiring young uh, singer songwriter guy. And so he invited me into his home and we started playing music together. This was like my senior year in high school. He was a, he was already in college uh, about the time that we kind of uh, really got serious about, you know, hey, we, we sound pretty cool together. You know, even though the songs probably really sucked, we, <laughs> you know, we thought we were cool and we thought it sounded good. And, uh, and I'd been raised in the Methodist church. And as I mentioned, Ken was in the was raised Presbyterian. And our very first gig, if I remember correctly, Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, was in the first Presbyterian church, uh, your yeah, church. I think so. I think so. Yeah, we and, did. Uh, we were uh, new believers, uh, relatively. Um, and we'd been raised in the church. Uh, but we recommitted uh, our lives and started actually living, you know, as best we could sure. for Christ. And um, it, w- it was back in the day of the singer songwriter, like, you know, Jackson Brown, America, yeah. CSN. They, they wrote their own songs and they had that 70s acoustic rock thing. And uh, we had already learned, you know, so much of that. And. I don't remember how it evolved, but we both started writing, you know, our own little ditties. And uh, so it was really interesting how we both started writing about the same time. And uh, I think one of Brian's first, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, gospel songs uh, was called Child of God. And I think that's the one we played, uh, maybe, Brian. At that church, yeah, and um, and it just so happened, Dave, that my dad owned the radio station in our local town, ah. and uh, so I grew up in a radio station when I was, you know, in my teens, and yeah. I would 
because I was learning how to play and write, I would go back into the sneak back into the production room, put on the headphones and listen to all the promotional copies of albums coming in, you know, like Ken said, James Taylor, Paul Simon, you know, all these just incredible songwriters. And I would go, I, I, I love this stuff, you know, so I would go home and try to emulate that. Then we, along the way, and I'll just sort of touch on this. We, you know, we started playing a couple of other little dates around, uh, there was a, I think our next gig was some small, um, oh, library series. And then we, we ended up at Western Kentucky university after that. But it was also along those lines that my dad was getting in a lot of the new Jesus music, Christian contemporary music was coming through the door. And, uh, yeah, didn't, uh, your, your dad had a DJ, nice, uh, lady that had a gospel show on Sunday morning. Did did he not? He did, and and that's where we saw that Dan Peak had had you know a spiritual experience and yeah. and had released all things are possible. And we were like, what? The guy from America? You know, uh, this is too cool. And little did we know we would end up meeting him and working with him for <laughs> almost two decades. So did you meet? Dan, before or after you were signed to Milk and Honey? Before. Oh, okay. So did so Dan helped hone your skills as musicians and stuff. And and I I have not looked at the credits. I must admit I don't physically have the albums, but I'm assuming his fingerprints are on the two albums that you did, Safe Harbor and Light of the World, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes. Uh, we had been communicating with uh, the uh, A and R man uh at uh milk and honey records mike demonico he was down on music Row's what 16th avenue brian is that it yeah yeah in nashville and uh we had sent him demos and he gave us gave one of us a call one day and to make a very long story a little shorter he said keep sending me your stuff and uh one trip we both made down there to Benson Records is where he was at the time. We had played him a demo in his office and in walks the audio engineer for Dan Peake, who had just finished recording Dan's album called Electro Voice. Mm-hmm. And Mike DeMonico, the A&R guy, says, well, hey, you know, you guys, we need to get you up to Dan's studio to do a, a demo uh, and, and see what it sounds like. And of course, Brian and I looked at each other aghast and said, when? Like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, because he was and kind that, of somebody you looked up to. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, so that was where that whole connection with Dan Peake started. Uh Maybe three, four weeks later, we were having lunch with him on Music Row, talking about coming up to Farmington, Missouri, where he lived, uh, to do a demo. Actually, Ken, if you'll remember, it was the first time we ever met Dan. He did a solo show where we were in school at at Western Kentucky University at the Van Meter Auditorium, which we later played. And Mm -hmm. we ended up going to meet him after his show. That was the first time we, the three of us connected and little did we know again. Yeah. And that that was it for several years. So, yeah. So when you went up to have lunch with him to plan the the demo, did he remember you from that 
from that show? No, I doubt it. He might have. <laughs> Brian, did you ever ask him if he remembers? You know, I, I probably I probably said something, but you know, I don't recall. But uh, anyway, we did. I think we did two demos on our first trip up to Dan's, mm-hmm. and uh, I think both songs ended up on his next record. Okay, correct, which right. was crossover. Right. Yeah, the, the record mm-hmm. crossover, and uh, so those two demos we did there. I think he used the same music tracks, and just replaced our vocals with his vocals. So, how did you feel when that happened? Were you excited, or were you like bummed? Like he just took our song. <laughs> <laughs> we were only too glad to let Dan Peake do whatever he wanted with with our songs. Well said. So that then parlayed into two albums on Milk and Honey, like like we talked about. But then after that two album deal, you guys then actually partnered with Dan and and formed a trio, a la America, but called Peace. So how right. did that how did that transition go from hey, here's these kids that are recording in my studio to oh, let's let's do a uh, project together. Honestly, you know, Dan was uh he he says it in his you know even in his last interview he still commented about it how we filled a void for him after coming out of america you know he he was mr solo for a while he said and then he he missed the camaraderie of the you know bouncing things off one another and he called us kind of his dewey and jerry of of ccm music what yeah. i don't know what he said but um so we filled that void for him and there was just a kindred spirit. And when we would get together, you should have seen us, Dave, the first time we went to Dan's home in his studio with the America platinum gold records, just, you know, running up and down the halls. Mm-hmm. And we were like, like pinch me. I'm in shock. What are we doing yeah. here? You know, because we were such fans and sure. still are of, of Dewey and Jerry and those guys and what they do. And, and it was just surreal that we were there and thus began the journey that uh, ended up, like I said, going on for almost two decades and then some uh, until Dan you know, passed away. But the yeah. peace stuff was everybody was crossing over. Amy Grant, Michael W., you know, everybody was making pop records and there was just sort of this sour taste about you know some things that happened in christian music that we were all going yeah so let's we want to be you too you know yeah and uh and so we said let's make positive christian music with secular you know and so dan started getting the idea of producing us at first but but he didn't join us in on the first record and i'll let ken kind of explain how that took place he actually he did join us uh, on some instrumentation on the uh, stronger than you know, Brian. Okay. Well, of? I just meant as a part of Peace. Remember, he just oh, was producing yeah, right. the duo Peace, yes, and then he became, correct. you know, uh, to if I may, there was <clears throat> there was talk of a reunion with America, okay. and so Dan was trying to distance himself from being, you know, in the duo with the duo. But once that didn't come to pass, he joined ranks with us as a member of the peace. But, but uh, I think it was 
pretty obvious that he was he never really intended for the peace band to go on tour to okay. go on the road he 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 was very happy to to stay on the couch in Missouri and make records uh, with us he spent a lot of time traveling he was road weary and was looking forward mm-hmm. to just being a musician yeah that happens a lot I mean, we right. did a show. We did a show with him at Willow Creek Community Church back when it was just, you know, the the it place. And uh, right after that, he retired to the Cayman Islands, pretty much semi-retired. Yeah. And uh, you know, had the wherewithal, no children, and he didn't want to go out on the road and and break a new act, you know. So, so did I understand correctly that peace was your guys' attempt to take the music that you were doing? and exit the CCM industry, so to speak, and then just be making music, which is what you've done since in the mainstream, but music that has positive lyrics and is, is pointing people to Jesus in a way that is, uh, I don't want to say evangelistic, but you know, is, is accepting to people without putting off being off putting. Yes. That's a fair statement. Yeah. Now, now I will, I will jump in Brian right after we did that first, uh, peace record called stronger than you know we both brian more so than me had some personal uh issues with marriages and so forth that just went downhill and the cares and concerns of this world uh kind of took over Mm. and uh we weren't so worried about our focus on bringing the light to uh the secular world, if if you know, if I'm making yeah. any sense whatsoever. Yeah. In other words, yeah, I'm going to write a song about a heartbreak or or whatever, and I'm not worried about you know uh, shining the light uh, of Jesus on on this. We were we were both uh, ready to not be tied down, if you will, to that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. concept. To piggyback on that. You know, what Ken's referring to is I went through a, a really hard divorce. I had two small children, you know, uh, was in a church and we were, you know, Dan didn't want to tour with us. So we were pretty much, we did an independent tour of about, I think we went to like 40 cities and this is after Safe Harbor came out, then Light of the World. And then, so in there between those records and the peace stuff, was was where I went through a really, you know, dark time and turned to alcohol to and really sometimes thank God that I had it because God knows what I would have done had I not had something to kill the pain. It was very painful. It was ugly. It was in the it was in a church. Half the church was with my, you know, kind of siding with my wife and and the other half with me and it was just a lot of, it was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, you know, and, uh, and it's funny how, when you go through things, you feel like you're the only one that's experiencing it. <laughs> you know, it's like, yep. I th- and, and, and you, f- you have this shame about your, what you're going through when really, and truly, you know, to me, at least that's where I finally found God was he was there waiting for me in the dark place with the shame. It wasn't clean your act up. And then, you know, we'll talk to you in a few years. You know, it was more like I've been here all along right here in the darkness, you know, waiting on you. And, uh, so yeah, that a lot of those songs that you'll hear on those early peace records are coming are you know, came out of that heart heartache and that, and that brokenness, because I was completely 
utterly bankrupt in every which way but loose after that happened. And and uh, I'm here to say today, by you know, that God is faithful. Whatever people are going through, whatever someone who may be listening is going through, He will meet you in that dark spot, and He will carry you to where He wants you to be. Uh, you know, he did it for me. And if he did it for me, I've been sober 22 years. I, I was able to remarry, rebuild. I have two, uh, have four beautiful children, yeah. two from my second marriage and are from my, my marriage. Now I should say yeah. I'm getting it backwards, but anyway, there was my little sermon on the Mount and we'll move on. Well, I want to get back to that, Brian, but Ken, you also went through a period of really, really difficult times, not that long ago in 2020 with, yes. with a situation. Do you want to talk about a little bit about that? Cause then I want to come back. I want to tie these two together about talking about how God helped you through these times. Yes. Right. Um, I lost a, a daughter. My daughter, uh, Mary Alexandra, was uh, 30 years old, and uh, she had battled uh, drugs, heroin specifically. Uh, she she had a really horrible uh, arm slash elbow break when she was, I don't know, um, 17, 18 years old. And got hooked on opiates and long story short, she battled them for years um, with successes here and there. But the, the bottom line is she overdosed uh, with uh, some heroin laced with the fentanyl huh. and it's still hard to believe, but that's what, that's what happened. So here we have two very tough, very dark times. And I've been reading through the Psalms lately and have just been stunned by the fact that most of the Psalms are written out of the tough, dark times. Mm -hmm. And I've talked to a number of musicians who say the songs that really went somewhere, chart-wise or whatever, were written out of dark, tough times. So I'd be interested in hearing from you both. What was it that these difficult times, these really painful, almost destroy you times, what was it about God's love that helped pull you through that and brought you through to the other side? Well, you know what? Some of my favorite songs uh, Brian has written. Uh, Brian is an incredible songwriter, and it seems like he writes songs about my life. That's kind of the joke. It's like, oh, you've written another great song about me. Uh, thanks. I get to harmonize and throw some guitar on it. Um, but uh, Brian has Brian has been my steady rock, for lack of a better term. I'll go ahead and use that. And uh, just always an encouragement. Says the right things. Um, so hey, I owe it all to Brian. <laughs> But uh, I, I got off track there, but um, I, I, I find I can write a song in, uh, in the middle of a difficult time, but uh, suffering from depression when I'm in those times, I, I don't really want to even see a guitar, mm -hmm. but uh, Brian kind of, it's like he has radar on and he's picking up what I'm going through 
and he'll write a song and uh, it'll be exactly what I needed to hear. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really special. So what I'm hearing you say is that part of the way God has reached to you is through the friendship that you have with Brian. Absolutely. And we were, we were talking about that uh, two days ago about uh, what each other, uh, you know, what we mean to each other and being thankful for that. Brian, what about you? You started to talk a little bit about how, how you found some help through the church, but where, what, what was it that helped you through that difficult time of my marriage is ending, my career is not where I wanted it to be, you know, all these different things? It's almost like there was an invisible hand, you know, that was guiding my life through those, when I look back now, you know, um, and and as Ken said, a lot of times, you know, the song, I'm one of those guys that write out of, you know, sorrow and and uh and out of the depths come a lot of these a lot of these things and i sometimes feel like i'm not even writing them they they write themselves mm. and i'm just kind of jotting them down uh and, and i do think that that you know what ken has added over the years and what has you know it's kind of like the lennon mccartney thing they grew up in high school and they always you know and they made a pact that they were going to write together rather than be competitive against each other. And it's sort of kept our sanity. Uh, a lot of times the music has been like our true North and, mm -hmm. and we've, it's been a constant, at least for the two of us when we have gone through things, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes the pain hurts so much that, you know, you have to have something to relieve it. And I think the, a lot of times the music has been a comfort and a, uh, uh, a constant. It's something we've always been able to cope, go back to. And, uh, I mean, they're like, if I look back over the, you know, the records we've made, you know, I, I can go, Oh, you know, they're like little mile markers. It's yeah. like, Oh wow. That's when we were going through that. And that's when Ken went through his deal. And that's when, you know, and, uh, and I think it also, I think the whole reason we're probably here on the planet is to glorify God, our creator. And I think that, you know, he has been faithful walking through these, you know, hard times with us. And I think the songs mark that. And I, at least I hope they do. And I hope in turn they help someone else. Yeah. I know I'll close with my, my soapbox here with one final thing. I heard a guy say once, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to us? Hmm. And, you know, and I think a lot of Christians I know and, and other people scratch their head, you know, uh, as to why God would allow something. And I heard a guy once say that nothing is wasted in, in God's economy. Right. So everything we go through is so someday we can turn around and help someone else who's going through yeah. the, a similar, you know, on a similar path. And that really gave me uh, a peace when I heard that, because it made me realize that, you know, it's not that we're just suffering to suffer. There's there's something at the end of our suffering for a reason, and it's to help others. And I really believe that today. At least that gives me peace. I don't know if that helps. Well, as you were talking about this, the albums and the songs being milestones, my mind went back a, a few months ago. I was reading through the Old Testament, and the children of Israel wandering around in the desert. And every once in a while, something major would happen. And they, so they would set up a pile of rocks, it was usually 12 rocks, 
to mark the place where this thing happened. And then always after that, it says, and this is a reminder to you. So as you come back by here, you mm. say, oh, yes, that's where God did X, Y, Z for us. You know, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Look at music as that kind of a thing. Mm. That reminds me of the Bob Bennett, uh, the CCM artist that we mm-hmm. both like, like so much. He has a song, uh, Altar in the Field. Yeah, uh, which is exactly Dave what you were just describing. Uh, that's where he wrote that from. Well, and then also like you, Brian, I went through a tough divorce and um, was going through it with a counselor. Now, my counselor at the time was one of the coolest guys. He must have been eighty at the time, <laughs> and he was a bodybuilder, and he had the world record for bench press in his age group. So, I mean, he was a he was a, <laughs> he was a manly man. But he, he, he told me, he said, you know, Dave, when I'm working on building muscles to lift weights, if it doesn't hurt, I'm not building muscle. Hmm. And I've often thought about that as I've gone through trials and stuff that's difficult, that spiritual muscle sometimes won't grow unless we have that hurt and pain too. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered if we were in tuned enough with the Lord to really hear what he had to say, if that would alleviate a lot of the pain we have to go through. But I think sometimes, at least I know for myself, my noggin is so hard and thick, stuff doesn't get through. And so sometimes God uses those tough situations to say, look, I'm going to carry you through this, but if you won't let me automatically, I'm going to break you so that you have to in order for me to succeed. That's that's so good, Dave. That's true. So you guys recorded as Peace for a while, and you worked, like you said, with Dan Peake for uh, about 20 years. And then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, your your partner in crime, so to speak, mm-hmm. passes away. What does that do to you and the music that you're going through? How, how did that fit into the whole angst of the music that you were doing for, for your divorce or through these other things? What I mean, what did that do to your... I'll just start, kick this one off by saying that we had you know, slowed, at least for me, I'd stopped talking to Dan on a regular basis, like the last couple, three years. I mean, we still talked, but it wasn't like every week, you know, stuff. And so we, he, it just, you know, it it was one of those things that I don't know what I'm trying to say. Once we knew that we weren't going anywhere, we just kind of, we broke off and did a couple of other records independently of him. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like we were sitting on the edge of our seats, perhaps going on tour with Dan, you know, although occasionally he would call and Ken and I still joke about this and say, I think I'm, I'm ready to do some dates. And then, and then what would he say, Ken? He would say, uh, but I'm going to take a nap and I'll be over it soon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. That, that, and Dan was the funniest guy you'd ever hope to meet. Uh, just very, very funny cat. Mm. So you guys did some some Marvin and Gentry stuff again, and I think Brian, didn't you do a solo album or or two in there? Yep, I, we did a we did a three we did three songs. Well, I I call it three point five with Dan because he did release a digital download record that kind of was there for a minute and gone. And then, uh, I don't even think it's available anymore, but, mm. uh, but yeah, we did those three records. Then we did violence of love and then we did stepping stone. And then I did dirt for a crown, but actually Ken was going to be on that record. And it's a really long story. He, he just helped me make the record basically. And, 
And then I was willing to go out and do some dates. So I, I went alone okay. and he stayed on the couch like peak. So, <laughs> so it was still a Marvin and Gentry record. It just, it got toured by Brian. <laughs> Pretty much. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's one of my favorite records, uh, dirt for a crown. If, if you can get it, is it still downloadable, Brian? I guess it is. I think so. Yeah. That is a great record. Brian Gentry, Dirt for a Crown. So I've enjoyed watching you guys. Our listeners won't have the the benefit of video, but watching you guys as you talk about each other, your faces light up in in kind of a combination of either that's my buddy, I'm proud of him, or as you're talking about angst of something, you can see the heartbreak on each other's eyes as you're talking about that. Talk about the friendship that was started by the same doc back in Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) And well, how has that carried you through? I mean, even through today, I mean, you're still making music and you're still doing stuff. Talk about the importance of that friendship between the two of you. Well, I'm going to correct Ken. It wasn't Dr. Stone. It was Dr. Orr. Uh, you're right. You're right. Stone was the afterbirth guy. Yeah. You're Stone right, was the guy Orr. that Stone was the after. He was the one that, that, uh, was just the regular what is it physician you know again like like good friends you know the conversation between each other i love this (laughs) but um uh what was the question dave how is the friendship sustained yeah talk about your friendship and what's that that's meant i mean it's obviously beyond music because you're you're connecting more than just musically you're connecting as friends as brothers Uh, talk about what the importance of that is for you guys yeah, you know, personally, I don't know how that works. I, I, I don't know how Brian has been able to stomach uh, me uh, through some of my baloney. Um, and uh, frankly, Brian uh, did some baloney work himself that I was able to <laughs> stick with him on. Uh, it's it's hard to describe, but uh, we just love love making music together. And so... I think that makes us full of grace with each other Mm. and, uh, and patience, uh, not only just when we're in the same room together, but, uh, you know, we both have separate lives and, and, you know, things get in the way to slow down whatever music aspirations, you know, we might have or have had, but, uh, it's just always comforting to know where you can pick up the phone and Mm. call your best bud and, uh, talk about life or the music that you love so much. So it's hard to put into words, even though I just spent five minutes trying to do that. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just share if I can briefly, you know, uh, there, there's something that I just recently discovered, which I sent to Ken. It, it's in a Celtic tradition. They have this thing called a soul friend or in their, in the old Celtic Gaelic term, it was Anam Kara, probably mispronounced, mm. but it's a Gaelic word for soul and friend. And it talks about how everyone in life needs one, a great, you know, there's a great need for a soul friend. And uh, what, it, I, what I liked about it, what made it stand out to me is that, like Ken said, we have these separate lives but yet the music, as I mentioned earlier, is all has always been a constant. But it says the Anam Kara experience opens a friendship that is not wounded or limited by separation or distance. Mm. Friendship can remain alive even when friends live far away from each other. 
because they have broken through the barriers of persona and egoism to the soul level. The unity of their souls is not easily severed. When the soul is awakened, physical space is transfigured. Even across the distance, two friends can stay attuned to each other and continue to sense the flow of each other's lives. With your Anam Kara, you awaken to the eternal. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was written by John Donahue, O'Donohue, I should say. Uh, and I, I read that day before yesterday and sent that to him. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that kind of says it, you know, it's, it's a soul. Yeah, that, was, that was it. That was, that was what I was trying to explain. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the reasons I started this podcast was the, the, the value and the importance of community. And a lot of times we talk about community as a group of people, but I think equally, and as you have so, so eloquently stated is the individual friendships that stick forever. You know, a friend who sticks closer than their brother, that's what the Lord is called. Um, and I think that's important for us as, uh, as sojourners on this life to have somebody that we can be real with and know that no matter what I say, no matter what I do, my Anam Kara is going to be there and is going to, okay, that was stupid, but I'm still here. Or I'm sorry you're hurting or whatever the, the situation mm-hmm. to have that relationship. And that's equally an important part of community. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. Well, let's jump back music a little bit. So you guys just released last year, well, by the time this podcast releases, two years ago, a, a piece revisited, which is, again, playing on the music of Dan Peak and the stuff that you guys did together. Talk a little bit about that album, and then let's parlay into the new album that's coming up. So talk about Peace Revisited and what what happened to make that a reality. It was really uh, when after Dan passed away, we went to the orchard, which was Dan's home studio, and we we stayed with Catherine for a couple of nights. And Catherine we, being his wife, Catherine okay. being his wife, whom also passed away this past March. Mm. Uh, we just lost Catherine ten years after Dan's passing, yeah. and. Uh, but we helped her, you know, disassemble the studio and do some things up there. And she, she gave us the tapes along with many other generous things and just said, Hey, you know, do with it as you will. And Ken, Ken is the one that really uh, brought that record to life, you know, which was, I'll let him explain what he did. He, he kept it alive and, pulled it off the shelves and started listening. Most of those songs that we did as peace with Dan, just from a technical standpoint, some will care, some won't. We used a lot of drum machine, computer drums, Okay. which I hate. Dan uh, simply did not want to go through whatever. I, I would say the trouble, but that's not a great term. He didn't want to try to find a drummer. He didn't want to have to mic a set of drums. Yeah. We just, the three of us did all the instruments and that included a drum, drum machine. And I always said, uh, you know, one of these days, one of these days, Alice, uh, we're <laughs> going to go back in the studio and lay down real drums uh, to some of these songs. And by golly, we did. Uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry that it was after Dan had had passed because I really think he would like what we did. But yeah. 
I, I for years just could not wait to get back in the studio, get a real uh, pro drummer. Uh, and we had another guy that played some bass and guitar uh, who was incredible. Just very proud of that Peace Revisited record. Yeah, it was Dave Eckberg who, uh, along with Paul Winkler, who played on Right Now, um, but Dave Eckberg, who is a, you know, A-list studio engineer, I mean, studio drummer, and, you know, he's toured with Amy and Jars of Clay, and we went into Jars of Clay's, oh, I guess it was their old studio, but it's Mitch Dane's studio. Oh, sure, who, sure, sure. And Mitch is the guy that engineered all of the Jars of Clay stuff. and. Yeah. Um, as far as I know. And, uh, and uh, who was the guy that you were talking about, Ken, that played the, uh, the bass and the electrics? Court. <laughs> well, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that cause I'm embarrassed court. court, but I don't remember his last name. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're terrible. Um, so that we, out. we all have, we all have gray in our beards. We're allowed to forget some things, yeah. <laughs> but, but the record was really predominantly Dan's material with the exception of, I think five, four or five songs that we, the three of us wrote. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really bringing Dan's material. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of those songs, uh, Brian and I were not even present in Dan's studio when he recorded those. On the uh, peace records, you know? on the peace releases, so we were able to get our vocals uh, along with really nice drums and a little extra guitar work on with him, and uh, how fun that was! That was the goal, and and we did it. Well, as I was preparing for this podcast today, I had Peace Revisited playing in the background, and. Uh, it's a good album, you guys. You got to go listen to it, especially if you're fans of that Dan Peake style era music. But it's 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 modern production, and it sounds really really good. So it was a fun listen for me today. Oh well, thank you, Dave. Let's jump into talking about because you you guys are releasing a new album this month. Talk a little bit about the album and uh, what the kind of the genesis behind the album, what the hope with the project is. Brian is spearheaded. Uh, usually, I'm the engineer guy uh calling all hands on deck to the studio but brian really took off with this project so brian i'll let you uh talk about it a little well it's currently set for uh release on 1 and we did have a pre-order set but it's Apple iTunes is, I don't know what's going on. So that's been delayed, Okay, but you can always look at this, find the information on the new album on Marvin and Gentry.com or our, and the various uh, Instagram, Facebook, so forth. But what, uh, what happened in, on this record, it's called Marvin and Gentry with Kim parent. Uh, and the title of the record is sacred vagabonds. And, uh, just try to nutshell it here. We we were introduced to Kim uh, through a mutual friend a year ago. My wife and I have a have a small business in Nashville, uh, and we had a room in the back, and I set up a studio. It just so the album just sort of fell into my lap. The one of our neighboring businesses is a coffee shop. The guy who owns the coffee shop was a serious studio engineer for six years over in Berry Hill in Nashville. And he came over and assessed what I had and kind of 
gave me some tips on what to buy. And I said, well, can I get you to engineer? And he was like, I almost said no, but I'm glad I didn't now. So he, he engineered the project and Kim has been a touring singer for years with, you know, major, she was with Christopher Cross. She was his backup singer. And then she toured with, uh, or, I mean, she's, she's has a huge resume of big superstar artists. Brooks and Dunn background singer for, quite some time carol king six years carol king i mean she's she's been in some tall cotton so it was <laughs> it, it all it all started with i kind of begged her to sing on one of my demos that actually ken found which is the title cut sacred vagabonds which is kind of a story about how we're all really you know just uh prodigals on some level and you know uh and we need a home and that home is God. And so Ken sent me that demo, Kim sang on it. And I went, wow, this is beautiful. We, and we sent it to back to Ken. This is all during the pandemic. And then Ken sang the three part harmony to it. And it just sounded so rich that we forged ahead. And then I went on a, on a uh, songwriting binge. Songwriting binge. And, and, Here's another one. Here's another one. And, <laughs> and Kim parent, uh, kept liking them and said, yes, let, I'll sing on it. Let me sing on that one. And we were going to do two or three songs and now we've got what 13 on this project. We have Brian? 13 on the upcoming project. And, uh, if you like three part harmony, you know, kind of Fleetwood Mac meets, uh, and I say Fleetwood Mac, primarily because of Christine McVie, sure. you know, she almost has that brings that kind of quality to the Marvin and Gentry thing. The whole record, like I said, I just sometimes just scratch my head and go, where did this come from? And like from how the songs all came, how Kim showed up, how the engineer showed up. So I'm very excited about, you know, if that's how it started, maybe it'll, It'll touch a lot of people, you know. We're going to feature the song Better Days. Talk a little bit about Better Days and what that song is about. Brian wrote the song Better Days. Um, he he would have insight if he wants to get specific. Um, he was probably writing it to me, for me. <laughs> that, uh, but uh, go ahead, Brian, take it away. Throughout this record, there are, I call them little just snapshots towards some, someone who's going through something maybe, or, and yes, Ken, you were in that little snapshot or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, certainly, you know, with the passing of Allie, it has, it was a devastating Allie thing. Allie being be. my daughter. It was certainly a, uh, you know, when you see your brother carrying a heavy load, you want to try to do whatever you can. And sometimes we can't do anything, you know, only God can do stuff, but we still have to express something. And so a a lot of the song, uh, perhaps in a maybe indirect way, I like to think was the spirit speaking through me to comfort Ken and therefore maybe comfort others again, who are going through loss or, uh, whatever that they're going through, it, it, the moral of the story in the song is, you know, don't give up. God has, you know, love has a reason and one day we'll understand. 
when the whole world comes crashing down on you and you feel it when there's no one to turn to I know you're hurting and tears come down like rain Don't you give up now Don't you give up now, child Don't you give up now Better days will come And love has a reason One day you'll understand Don't you give up now Don't you give up now Better days are just ahead When this cold world Tears your tender heart in two And you're reeling From the pain you're going through has a reason and one day we'll understand which ties into proverbs you know three five that says trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding you know my understanding is so limited it's finite i don't get it i don't even know why god does certain things but if we do lean not on our own understanding and trust in him he will direct our paths Well, I wrap every podcast episode with the same question to all my guests. We send a newsletter out every Saturday to folks who have committed to praying for artists. And how can we specifically be praying for you guys in the weeks and the months that are in front of us? Well, I, I first of all, I really appreciate that aspect of your show and that you would do that. I would just appreciate simple prayers that God would lead me personally and Brian and I as a duo uh, on what, if anything, he has for us, you know, to do, where to go, where to sing, where not to go, where not to sing, uh, and to just keep the creativity flowing and be guided to uh, every step that we take. I would just say ditto to what Ken said, and 
and do keep our original hometown of the family and friends and absolutely people. pray for Mayfield pray for Mayfield Kentucky and all the victims of, in Kentucky it wasn't Mayfield was I think the hardest hit but there were that's heavy on our hearts this morning obviously so I'm often amazed at how God brings things into my life in groups. Recently, I've been hearing a lot of people talking about God's desire to make us whole. And if you've listened to this podcast each week, you've heard several guests recently talking about how God is faithful to help us through those tough times. My guests today, Brian and Ken, both talked about how they had different kinds of struggles and shared how God helped and is helping them through those things. Whether depression or divorce or the death of a loved one, God is there waiting for us to say, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. One of the things I've come to learn about God is that if he keeps bringing a topic or situation to my mind, it is usually something that I should pay attention to. So as I've been hearing multiple people in multiple situations talking about God's desire to make us healthy and whole— I figure there is something I need to let go of, something that is keeping me from being the person God intends me to be. Maybe you are sensing that too. Maybe the beginning of the new year isn't a time of celebration for you. Maybe you're battling a health crisis or a relationship issue, or you might be struggling financially. I don't have a solution for you, my friends, but I do know that God cares and that he wants to help you grow through those situations. We talked about this briefly in the podcast, but I'm becoming more and more aware that God's desire is to help us through situations. Yes, sometimes that means he provides a solution, but more often than not, I think God's ultimate goal is for us to learn to rely on him, to let Jesus change our attitudes, to let Holy Spirit strengthen our faith. So whatever you are going through today, I want to encourage you with a couple of verses. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. It says, The Lord your God will change your heart and the heart of all your descendants so that you will love him with all your heart and soul and so that you may live. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. And Romans 12 states that when we present ourselves to God, he will transform our minds and help us see what God's will is for us. So in those three verses, I heard three things. God wants us to live, God wants us to be new creations, and he wants us to see his will. See, God is good and wants us to thrive. So my encouragement to you today is to let God change your heart and mind. Let him help you through these tough things, and let him make you into a new creation in spite of all the junk that you're going through. As always, thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. 
I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>